Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to a special one-off edition of The Roadbook, part of the Never Strays Far series of podcasts, brought to you in association with Chapter 3, with me, Ned Bolting, and David Miller. Now this episode is all about one rider and one rider alone, a man who has made a special contribution to road racing, carving out a distinctive niche and creating some very special memories. Looking at Bardet now, the two Frenchmen playing cat and mouse. But here comes Cummings. Cummings catches them napping. And Steve Cummings will power his way to the line here in Mons and take a famous victory for MTN Quebec on Mandela Day. Over the cold asphalt, on his own, Steve Cummings, unopposed, wins the best way of all at Lac de Payol. And that was a special drive. Yeah, there we go. Steve Cummings, winner of the stage of the Vuelta, two stages of the Tour de France, the Tour of Britain in its entirety, and serial breakaway artist whose cold-blooded approach to winning races proved successful in just about every significant stage race on the calendar. Well, earlier on this afternoon, as I was sitting at my desk in London, I got a message from him, and shortly after that, a phone call. This is what he had to say. So, Steve, um, you and I have been speaking off and on for the last few weeks, and um, I think it's taken you a while, but you've, you've reached a decision that, um, well, you tell me, what, what's the decision you've reached? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to continue another year or so. I felt pretty physically good, and then um, just the opportunity wasn't there to continue, and that's I searched around for opportunities, and... Um, they kind of dried up, so that's it. I've I've got to retire, <laughs> find a different job. <laughs> it's yeah. as simple as that, you know. I, I could say something else, but that's that's the truth. So, um, no, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I appreciate your honesty. I mean, what was it? Was it um, a, a matter of uh, you, you were? Would it have been difficult for you to accept um, a, a job with a with a um, pro conti team or lower than world tour? In your mind, did it have to be? Did you have to continue at the same level you had been racing? Uh, no, I don't, don't think so. It was um, there was a few teams that I contacted, not not World Tour teams that I saw as like a really good project, something that I really wanted to be involved in. Um, but they weren't. There wasn't. I didn't go out of my way to search around sure. too hard. So I think that was. I think that was kind of a message to myself, you know, um, as well <laughs> that I was happy to continue, but I was also happy to stop because. I, I'm not sitting here super sad. I'm just um, grateful for like the opportunities I've had. Um, you know, I'm pretty privileged, really, to have lived my dream. And um, yeah, just look back with good memories. I mean, in the end, one more year would have 
been nice, but that was just probably more because of the way it ended. I mean, I didn't really want to end. One way it's good to finish my career one kilometre from home, but with a broken back is not so cool. So um, that's that's not that's that's not ideal. But you know, I mean, like I say, maybe I'd have continued one more year, and my career was pretty long, fifteen years. So like a little sort of blip at the end really was if that doesn't shouldn't overshadow the rest of the career in my eyes anyway so thing is um steve very few you know very few sportsmen let alone cyclists manage to manage to go out in precisely the way that they they would want to that's just a that's just a fact isn't it it's a it's a difficult sport yeah. to, it's a difficult sport to get into and it's a very difficult sport to get out of as well i guess yeah i think i was very lucky and i do feel very fortunate and privileged because i really enjoyed like 90% of what I did or yeah 80 to 90% of what I did and if I could have carried on till I was 60 years old I probably would have so um yeah just it just wasn't wasn't to be you know but it's I'm not super sad like I say I'm just more looking forward for different opportunities and different challenges you know I've been on my bike racing my bike for um I don't know, 25 years probably. So to do something different gives me an opportunity to do all the things that I have sort of not been able to do. And um, it's quite a change, um, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to come on and talk to you about what those things might be in, in due course. But Steve, I mean, you know, you, you just touched on it. It's a, You had a very long career racing. And even before you, as you say, you turned pro, you'd already been on your bike for years. Um, it's a hard sport and you had a reputation amongst those who know much better than me, amongst the riders I've been privileged to no- get to know. You had a reputation for being a particularly hard trainer. I mean, you, 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 you worked yourself hard even when you weren't racing throughout your entire career, didn't you? Uh, yeah, and I, I still kind of do. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I think where I come from, it that kind of resembles where I come from. That um, I come from very like working, working class, and um, the only way to get on really is to really work hard, and that's kind of what I was able to to do. That was like my main, I don't know, quality if you like. I think just working hard, just the ability to constantly work hard, constantly motivate myself, and um, try and get the best out of myself. I mean, in, in my case, I only got to know you some 10 years ago when you were, if you like, already a ready-made, a ready-made successful professional cyclist. So this is a shortcoming of mine, really, that I've never stopped and asked, asked you how it all began and where, you know, you just touched on your family background, where it came from in the first place. Were your, were your, were your family remotely kind of cycling orientated, like, like um, Chris Boardman, your fellow, fellow rider from down the road? Of course, his mum and dad had been prodigious talents on a bike is it the same case with you steve is it was it a family thing that put put you on a bike in the first place um no my family was just into sport really and recognized that sport was a good um recreational activity to sort of stay out of trouble i was a bit hyperactive like most kids i suppose and they always tried to um channel my energy into sport into something that was uh, productive so eventually I tried everything. I used to love football. I still do. Um, but I don't know. For some reason, I just love the bike. I love the freedom it gave me. Uh, I love the people I met on the bike. Um, and I think I think that was the big thing. The big word for me was that freedom. I felt like when I went on my bike, I just felt like I was free. And yeah. I didn't have a worry in the, in the world. And that's what I liked. And then I just 
yeah, I was pretty okay at riding and the people, again, I was fortunate because the club I was in, Berk at North End, were very um, helpful and got me going and just helped me in every way. And they still do that now with all the youngsters. So to have that club around was a blessing, really. Weren't you, weren't you some crazy young age um, when you, oh, what's the race called? You'll tell me in a second. The Eddie Eddie Soans, isn't it? The <laughs> Yeah, I what? don't know if I was crazy young. I, I was a junior. Yeah, it's like a handicap race in uh, yeah. In, uh, where is it in um, where they have the Grand National entry there. Aintree, so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I seem to I seem to recall hearing that you were one of the youngest winners of that ever or something. So I mean, you made your mark pretty early on, anyway. Yeah, no, I think I was. I think I don't know. I was lucky. We had, like you say, we had Keith Borman, and um, I probably had like really sound coaching advice from an early age. So maybe I was fast-tracked a bit when I was younger, but I mean, there's one thing having a good coach, but also you need to, you need to um, work as well. And that was, like I say, that's always been yeah something in me that I've never been, I've never shied away from. Yeah. 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 Um, so your career, did you always, you know, you mentioned the name Boardman already. Um <laughs> Is, was was he a template? I mean, he was a template for so many of the British cyclists. So I think Wiggins included your your close friend as well. Um, did you did you model yourself on his career a little bit? That 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 possibility of pursuiting on the track and then moving those that skill set onto the road and and thinking and using that as an example to follow. Not really, because when, <laughs> whenever I did, I just not really because whenever I did, I just simply wasn't as good enough, wasn't as clinical as Chris was. You know, he's yeah. an incredible. He was just so clinical and so precise at what he did. I mean, he really was a special, special bike rider. Um, I just wasn't like that. I was just, I don't know, I, I couldn't, maybe I was like less intense and more, I don't know, I, I'm just a different character. So my talent or my results had to come in a different way. And eventually, yeah, I found, I found which, which was a good way for me to make results really. But I tried to use, and I still do, I still look to him now and, and I've tried to, I don't, like, it's not that I copy him, but I try to follow roughly a similar template in, in that book, in my own my own version of it, if you know what I mean. I think the, the process that he follows is, is pretty sound and I probably follow, follow the, a similar process. Yeah, careful, um, careful with that, you'll end up on question time before you know it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about bike running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's that. And it, it very much became a British cycling way as well, like that, that, those processes. So um, that's, that's kind of what followed. Yeah, but in a way, that's only. I mean, it's not even half the story, Steve, because you know you, when when you were already winning things with the British cycling project, as you call it, like your, your successes at the Commonwealth Games in 2006, and um, the Track Worlds in Los Angeles a year or so before that. And then, of course, when when the the road team came along and you were one of the first intake uh, for Team Sky, um, you weren't. It's not like you were a kid. You weren't like Pete Kenyuk, or you know, you're half a generation older than that lot. So you'd already been. You'd already put in some hard kilometres racing overseas and doing that thing that David Miller as well and so many riders before you had to do, going overseas to prove your worth and on the continent. And so you you've got both those traditions wrapped up within your one career, haven't you? Um, well, yeah, I was, I definitely was part of like an academy system that came after me. So it's kind of the same age. I was, I was a year younger than Bradley. So we, we were fortunate enough to have the track program 
and we raced a lot abroad on the road through the track program as a national team so that was really good because we were around older riders and then when eventually I turned pro uh, forget the year 2005 maybe I think um, I was living with my sports director in Belgium so in that sense I guess that was when I kind of went out of the yeah. UK yeah. like full time so my early years as a pro and most of my years as a pro I've always been ba based abroad yeah yeah, Italy, and then, fact, as you all, said before, that, my, yeah. yeah. I went to Italy, yeah. That was kind of like a long-term ambition of mine. I, I don't know, I always admired Italian bike riders in general, but like if you think the big sort of champions, as much as like the style and the way they won the races, I really, that I don't know, that just sort of like resonated really with me really strong. Um and I don't know, I didn't really ever see a fat Italian bike rider. They just, to me, they just seemed like they, it was like, it was almost like you go to Italy and, and learn an art of bike riding. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I don't know, that's what I tried to do. It's what you did. And you were, you, I mean, you were, I remember, remember sort of first getting to know you. I remember you telling me that, and this is already when you, you're part of Tour de France teams, you know, I think you were picked. You were picked in 2012, weren't you, when you'd moved from Sky to BMC to support Cadell Evans in his defence of the Tour de France. Uh, you know, I remember there's a slight reluctance for you to even take the start line in the Tour de France. You accepted the reality of it and the fact that it's the biggest bike race in the world. But your heart was always where you lived, wasn't it? Which was still predominantly in Tuscany and Carata. And, and um, for you, Italian, Italian racing, as you say, was always at the centre of what attracted you to the sport in the first place. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I, I was all, don't get me wrong, the tour, the tour was always in my eyes and still is the biggest bike race in the world. And that's kind of what captured my imagination. But there were a lot of races outside of that, that I did. I, I really, um, enjoyed racing, particularly like around the med where, I don't know if you think about the stages that I kind of won, there were always, there was always something in common. They'd sort of have, I don't know, upwards of let's say two and a half thousand meters of climbing to sort of 4,000 meters and yeah, not climbing stages, but medium mountain stages and any, any sort of terrain around the med around that area. So whether it be France, Italy or Spain, parts of Spain, I just like racing in those. I thought it suited my characteristics when I was at my best. Yeah. Well, well it, I, really, and just gave me the opportunities. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, so people make this sort of slightly lazy assumption about your career when they think about it that, that because it was kind of like as you've as you've been very frank about throughout your career sky wasn't the perfect team for you at the right time and, and the way you were deployed there wasn't wasn't quite right for you so that's why you moved on and yet you know prior to your your great years that were still a few years down the road you you won the tour of the Algarve didn't you when you were at sky in your second year there um, I won a stage and I didn't win overall. I won the oh, you stage. You won a stage. That's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. but ahead of some hitters, as far as I remember, it was a it was a real sign of. Uh, did that did yeah. that teach you a lot about where you wanted to go that 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 day in the saddle? I think that was a breakthrough moment. I where I won on top of there's a climb there called Malau, um, and I Contador was coming back. He'd been out for a while, so I came. I, re I managed to beat him on the climb. The climb was a few K long and um, yeah, I managed to beat him. So that was a break. So it gave, gave me the confidence that I needed yeah. really. Yeah. 
and I felt like that winter had it's almost like I'd found a key and, and brought myself to a completely different different level and managed to unlock the door and everything was in front of me so um, that was yeah like I say built the confidence up so then you did switch from from Sky, and and am I am I right to say that ultimately, ultimately you put those two years down as as a slight frustration, or or not, or did you get a lot out of those years? Um, uh, a bit of both. Yeah, I think it's it's always mixed. Um, it's always mixed. You, I learned a lot of things, um, and in terms of the racing, I, I think I did quite quite okay there, quite well. Um, and, but yeah, I was happy to move. It wasn't really, they were, a sky was like, um, they had this plan A, which was to win the Tour de France. And I didn't really see myself winning the Tour de France. So then it's like, well, what, what are you going to do? You're going to support someone else. And I just felt like the opportunities were limited. And um, I don't, I didn't feel like I had really the, the big passion to do that. My passion was to, to was to, um, Sort of, I wanted more opportunities to be motivated and stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, well, you went from one of the biggest teams in the world to one of the biggest teams in the world, didn't you? Who had the uh, former world champion and, and the Tour de France reigning champion in Cadell Evans there. But it was, in a way, when you went to BMC, in part at least, you had to accept that part of that, part of those years would be, especially when the Tour de France came around, would be similar to your function at Sky, you would be a pure domestique and you'd have to look for your chances elsewhere. Is that, is that fair enough? Yeah. 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 That's fair enough. Uh, I just felt, I don't know. I was working quite closely with Max Chiandri and he was the, um, and he, yeah, that was the connection with BMC really. So I went there and I wasn't thinking, wasn't really thinking overly about the Tour de France. I was thinking about the races leading into it, but, my first year there, I'd um, I would I I had some bad crashes at the start of the year, and I, yeah, that's why I was kind of surprised in 2012 that I was at the Tour de France, to be honest. But <laughs> um, yeah, I was there, but um, yeah, I just felt like overall I'm getting more opportunity, and I just wanted some a different a different style. I just um, I wasn't in love with the Sky system at that time. I felt like they were tra- like trying to do I don't know almost like reinvent the the wheel yeah. if you like um and I I tried I felt like I was running out of time I mean I think I was 28:30 but I felt like I was running out of time I didn't have time to to um make mistakes and I felt like it was you had to do as they they wanted you to do and if you didn't do it you sort of it wasn't super cool so I didn't yeah, I just wanted a bit more freedom, I guess. Freedom's the word I'm looking for, freedom. Yeah, yeah. So, Steve, um, to, uh, before we move on, I, I just simply can't avoid um, asking you about those couple of years at Sky and indeed your, your time before that in British Cycling in the light of stuff that's come to light just very recently about, about Dr. Freeman's admissions, uh, the, yeah. the delivery of testosterone, etc., the, the mudslinging that is going on between Shane Sutton, who is obviously someone you, you must have worked very well with and knew very well. Um, mm. You know, there's a less, there are multiple versions of the truth here, but a lot mm. of it, whichever interpretation you make, doesn't look good. Um, you, you were in the system for a while. You were a rider at Team Sky for a couple of years. Is there anything that you witnessed there that one day you, you feel you should um, talk about or anything that makes you uncomfortable when you think back on it? 
Um, no, not really. I mean, I, I always had a good relationship with Shane. I kind of liked him. I could see how some people could be offended by him, but I, I don't know. He he looked after me and I don't know. I kind of feel sad in some ways that it's gone the way it has. And uh, Dr. Freeman, I was there. He was there. He came to Sky, I think, the second year. And again, I had good experiences with Richard and... But I wasn't. I didn't have. Not that I had that much to do with with him, and the, it just all surprises me, to be honest. Um, especially the British cycling stuff. But I don't know. I wasn't involved in British cycling in that period. Yeah. I was in Sky, and yeah. then I'd, I'd left. And I think all these allegations after I'd left. So I don't know. We we'll just have to see what happens. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, it must have been a strange. Um, Tour de France for you to race with with Cadell on your, on your new team and as you say Max Giandri who had formerly been with Sky and is also a resident of Karata or was at the time where you lived um, but you you guys were watching on as that project you'd just recently been part of came to fruition perhaps unexpectedly early and Wiggins I think I'm right in saying Steve is, is still one of your closest friends and so, I mean, in fact I'm looking at your WhatsApp <laughs> avatar <laughs> right, right in front of me now and there's a picture of the two of you uh, sitting side by side enjoying each other's company so I mean was it a bit odd to, to be on the outside of that team watching watching him win the race I, you know it was amazing um, because it was at first a little bit odd but by the end of the three weeks it was just completely normal and it doesn't and you know since then it's been it's like snowballed and every year a British rider this year wins the tour and it's it's just like normal. And it was almost after the three weeks of that tour when Brad won, it was normal. And um, we've seen it before, though, with British cycling stuff with the Olympics and how they, I don't know, they, these marginal gains, the team culture, the leadership, all that stuff and how it can affect performance. And I think the, the one of the strengths of British cycling and Sky is they're always looking outside their own sport and outside their like, comfort zone, if you like, trying to look teams and other sports do things and trying to integrate that into their own to find you know the next new thing to to improve and I don't know credit to them I think it's amazing what they what they've done and what they you know what they did and what they do and yeah it's it's really good okay well yeah you know you're a big part of the success that Mark Cavendish you know rode to the victory he rode to in in Copenhagen of course in 2011 you were part of that team as well at the world's but um, in terms of your own individual career, it really, it was the move to MT. Well, you won a, st- let's not forget, you won your first Grand Tour stage when you were with BMC at the Vuelta, having come back from injury yeah. and having also raced, as you said, the Tour de France with Cadell Evans. But it was, yeah. it was a couple of years later when you moved to MTN that everything seemed to change for you because, I don't know, Steve, when you, when you took that contract and made that move from a big, well-established top order team to a newly crowned if you like world tour team who'd moved moved up through the ranks did you go there you obviously went there as really quite a big hitter but did you go there on the understanding that now you really would get your chance because you became in those years famous for being a very idiosyncratic rider in other words you had your own style completely and you didn't seem to be necessarily subjected to all the same team disciplines that most of the other riders were shackled with from time to time. You were your own man. W- was that the understanding yeah. from the word go? Well, that's kind of always what I was looking for, a team where they had, um, uh, they weren't really too focused on GC. I mean, I know I went to BMC, but that, that wasn't 
that was something else. But um, I was always looking for a team, a, a team of what you might call stage hunters, and they they still exist, and um, they just hunt stages. So 2015 was great. Um, probably I remember it. It's probably one of my fondest years on the bike. Um, you know, we were always the underdogs, which is which is nice to be in and um, a nice position to be in, and we'd. Every day, it would be um, the 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 meeting or the program would be that we try to get somebody in the break, and we'd always have like a number of so it might be like so we'd split into micro groups and maybe we try and help four riders get in the break, or we try and help three riders, whoever suited the the stage the best, and and that was yeah that was the ideal scenario for me, but um, I was up against it really as well because. Uh, they wanted South Africans. They wanted African riders in the team, and I wasn't. Unfortunately, I wasn't South African or African. So uh, yeah. you know that meant that meant like if you go back to the names, if you went back and looked at the names at the start of the year in that team, they had some really good names. You know, like Matt Goss and Chialek and yeah. Tyler Farrar and Eddie Bosenhagen. And there was only limited spaces for foreigners, really, because I think they wanted five Africans in the team. So. Um, it was a big challenge to get in the team. That's the first, the first thing. So uh, I was just consistent all, all year. I think I was always like top ten, and I rode well in Tirreno. And yeah, my daughter was born that year. I don't know. I felt like I, I matured as the person that year as well. So um, yeah. yeah, it was a great, great time in my career. Yeah, and of course, at Culminate, the absolute zenith of it was that that victory into Mond up to the airfield um, when you were in the breakaway. I remember you talking to you a couple of years ago, Steve, or last year sometime, you made a really good point to me that had never occurred to me before about being in a breakaway. I think it was stage 14, wasn't it? So it was, you know, well into the final phase of racing, beginning of the yeah, final 15. week. So it stage yeah, 15, 15, was it? Um, yeah. So you made a really good point to me that... that um, so the two riders you beat, so, so kind of like unexpectedly for many people and thrillingly, were Thibaut Pino and Roma Badet. Um, yeah. Now, they'd started the race as GC racers and dropped out of contention, hence their presence in the breakaway that day, whereas yeah. you'd, you'd been you, right? And you explained yeah. to me that on a climb like the climb up to Mond, because you are a breakaway specialist and they are GC racers, to get to the foot of that climb, they've expended energy in a way that they're not used to doing, right? Because they've been working as an equal partner in a breakaway. Yes, uh, and that I thought was a really good point. C- can you just kind of elucidate? Have I explained that properly? Um, because it, it struck me as a yeah, really... yeah, 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 yeah. No, you kind of yeah. If you <laughs> yeah, you've done well. You've done well. <laughs> uh, if you imagine at the start of the at the start of the race, or just, and the breakaway forms, and, and you've, you've got your, your, a list of names, and on paper, right, re- really, I shouldn't beat um, Pino, and I shouldn't beat Bardet up a climb. But what you have to consider is. When you arrive at the climb, you've already ridden for 160k, and you've, you know, you've been swapping off, so swapping off through and off, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and every time you go through, if you can save a little bit of energy, or you, you're not um, digging as deep as a climber might, because you're more aerodynamic, or you've got more absolute power than a climber who's got less absolute power because he's lighter. Then ultimately, you arrive at the last climb a little bit fresher. Than in theory, <laughs> a little bit fresher than those sort of climbing specialists, those favourites, and that sort of 
that's why you never know in um, bike racing because you never know what people have eaten, what they've drank, and that's why it can change. And there's always a possibility to win from those situations against the odds. And uh, they they were the situations that I was really good at because I just covered all the basics really well. I made sure I ate, made sure I drank, I made sure I was aerodynamic on the bike. I knew I had a big absolute power and uh, I was very, very fit and as lean as I could be really, but I wasn't good enough to win on the hilltop, like outright from the peloton, if you like. So I had to put myself in that situation to win. Yeah, it was um, it was a kind of it was a kind of style of racing that really exploded, you know, into success on that day in, into Mont. But then, the following year, uh, every stage race you turned up at, almost without exception, you came away with a win. I remember you went to Terreno Adriatico. I was at that race actually. I remember your win into Foligno, where you bridged across, I think, with a late attack to the, to a break, and then just left yeah. them all for dead a few kilometers out, and you know, understanding entirely how far you could sustain that final effort to the line and it was a trademark Cummings and then you did something quite similar at Pay Vasco uh, the following month you went to the Dauphiné and took the final stage there then you went to the Tour and stage seven you did it again the following year into Lac de Payol was that an equal yeah. was that an equal pleasure that 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 victory on the on the Tour that year or was it was it a different feeling second time around um it was very much different I felt like going back to 2015, feeling like the underdog. Yeah. I was completely the opposite in 2016. <laughs> I was like, like you say, I'd won in Tirreno, I'd won in Pays Basque, I'd won in Dauphiné. It's almost like all I could do really was fail, but I didn't really see it like that. I just saw it as, well, I've already won a stage and I've already won three World Tour races this year. Anything else I do now is going to be a bonus. And it, it made me try things that were perhaps a little bit more daring. And also, you know, we did do that when your confidence is high and, um yeah uh, it was yeah it was amazing i couldn't i couldn't put one ahead of the other really to be honest yeah 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 and then just as a little kind of very very satisfying way to round that year off you went and won the tour of britain didn't you for having finished second second on two occasions yeah. before that and, uh, and there must have been a huge amount of pressure for you to do that you know because it was a it was a race that had been had an individual time trial in it didn't it so it, it, you knew that you could make gains there and yet that's a hard race to win and the satisfaction of actually doing that must have been must rank right up there with some of your achievements yeah it was it's complicated victory it's always complicated to win tour of britain especially if you yeah it's, it's just it is very complicated because normally there isn't there's key stages but they're often they don't determine determine the outcome you need to i kind of recognize that in the previous years there'd always been sort of one day where there was a selection and yeah. it, it can happen at any time yeah. tour of britain and then the key stages that sort of limits the gc riders to let's say 20 or 10 or whatever and then your winner comes from there and the key stages become important but you're only racing against those 10 you, you know, that we'd been limited on another day. So, uh, yeah, um, I just, I was lucky that we had, we had a good team that that really helped me with something that I would consider not my strength, which was positioning. And they really, we probably had, probably had the best team in the world with Bernie, Calvin, Renshaw helping. Yeah. Um, and I was always in the right place. Uh, I was pretty strong. Uh, tactically, I did very, very well. To I also Quick Step were really good and kind of let them control the race really, knowing that 
if all went to plan, I'd take the jersey like later on, and that's sort of how it happened. And then we wouldn't have to defend the jersey for too long, which was perfect, really. So that was that really was kind of a dream because um, I'd sort of given up on the GC thing <laughs> probably two two or three years earlier. So um, yeah, it was an opportunist GC winning your home tour after such a year. Yeah, yeah, you're still there, Steve. You've gone very quiet. Hello? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got me. Okay. Yeah. Just, I mean, the following year, was it following year you picked up your double national championship in 2017, was it? Or have I got that wrong? Where am I? Well, yeah, 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 17. 17, exactly. And that was a phenomenal achievement as well. Uh, And, uh, you know, obviously you'd continued that form from 15 and 16 and 17. But subsequent to that, it's been, it's been a little bit of a struggle, hasn't it, for you, uh, off and on? Uh, Have you, have you managed to sort of put your finger on why why your form over the last couple of years just tailed off a little bit or 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 is it still um, something of a mystery to you no it's not a mystery and i uh, i would say this um often my form has been as good as ever just things haven't fallen into place as they might have in those years those sort of 15 16 and 17 um that's all i can say really um, i was yeah. always physically capable and even to the day I stopped in that period I was still capable I actually felt I don't know I was maybe it's hard to say in some ways better than I'd ever been when I crashed out so that on that side it's kind of sad but that's that kind of happened all the way through my career sometimes you get really fit and you wouldn't get your reward because you'd crash out or you get sick or or and that's just something you learn to deal with. So in that sense, it's no different. But physically, I was on a very good level. I mean, we chose, well, there were some decisions that to do a different race program in 18, which they felt was better for the team, which really didn't suit me. And that that didn't help the situation. Um, and then this year, it's just been frustrating. I mean, I'd never say it was one thing. But there's a combination of factors and certainly one of the factors is as I've got older, I've sort of recognised every time I've crashed, mm. um, I've broken something. And when I was younger, that didn't really happen. I'd just crash, you'd cut your knee and off you go. But literally as I've got older, every time I've crashed, I've had a fracture and that, that takes its toll because you're out for six weeks at best, you know. So um, that certainly doesn't help consistency. Well, you 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 don't you won't know you don't know anything yet, Steve. Wait till you get to my age, mate. What you've got to do, is, <laughs> what, what you've got to do is, is just do no exercise now and get seriously fat, really quick, really quickly. And you'll find if you fall off, then you don't break as many bones. <laughs> what are you, what are you going to do, Steve? What's the plan? What's the plan? Um, I don't know. Um, I'd like to do. I'm I'm struggling a bit at the moment, to be honest, because I'm in. Um, I've got this neck brace still from the crash. Um, yeah. That I've got, I've got to keep on now for another four or six weeks, and that's kind of really limited me. Normally, this should be a great moment, an exciting moment to go and do the things that I wanted to do. I, I like walking. Um, I like to do martial arts if I eventually can do it, but I, I'm I'm limited. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm exploring lots of things. I'm doing a degree. I'm, I'm studying um, business and sport management, which is keeping me busy. Yeah, you start, you told uh, me that you started. You're kind of writing essays and submitting them for the first time since you were at school. So 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I left school more or less 16, 17. I went to sixth form for a bit, but left. Yeah. I didn't like it too much. And then, um, yeah, I've been writing essays on all sorts and I've just done a module on economics and stuff. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, all, so lots of options open, but nothing you've decided yet. You're definitely going to attack just yet or... Are you going to stay in cycling, Steve? Are we going to see you with your your elbow outside, you know, hanging over the out the window of a team car, shouting at riders? I don't know. I just <laughs> I, I think the thing is, I, I think the thing is, I don't really know what I want to do, but I know that I want to explore lots of things. So I love cycling. I love sport. I know that. So that kind of narrows things down a little bit for me. Obviously, you've, I've got some experience in cycling, but still a lot to learn. So yeah, um, cycling would be sort of the natural choice but I'm not I've been around looking in other sports and uh, reaching out to contacts I've made over the years like talking to different people and just getting out and about and seeing you know what's available and things like that it's 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 exciting but it's also a little bit scary (laughs) yeah but yeah 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 oh well I'll keep my eye you know I know you and I've spoken down the years as well about possible media work which i'm sure the offers will come your way as well so that wouldn't entirely surprise me and you'll be very good at that if that's what floats your boat as well so um good luck mate and um i think on behalf of you know the the well uh, the worldwide cycling public actually it's been the last four or five years of watching you race has been a completely unique pleasure because um you've defined a style that will be absent from the peloton next year and uh, you made it your own and you did it with great success so you should be very proud of that and uh, everyone everyone owes you a debt of gratitude I think for the entertainment they've given you over the last you've given us I should say over the last few years thank you very much I'm very grateful for like the opportunity to do this to have a chat because I just feel a little bit more natural chatting and um, yeah also also all the support that I've had off the public the general public have been amazing all I've always felt warm with it. So thank you very much. Pleasure, Steve. Get that neck brace off and um, I'll look forward to the next chapter. It's nice to speak to you. Okay, cheers. Cheers, Ned. Bye. So, Steve Cummings then, one of the great characters of the last decade. The road racing scene won't be quite the same without him. Thanks for listening. As I say, the podcast is brought to you in association with Chapter 3 and The Roadbook, the 29 edition of which is a couple of weeks old, weighs in at two kilograms and documents the entire racing year in infinite detail. It's available at theroadbook.co.uk and on the Ruler website. David will be back next time and we'll find out just how he got on in the New York Marathon. Till then, don't stray far. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.